0: For those of you that don't know me, yes, my name is Paul. Um, I've been in this church quite a while. I've actually served on our eldership team here for 12 years, actually, this year. Um, I'm what you would call a marketplace elder. For those of you that don't know what that means, it means that I work a full-time job and I serve in the pastoral team at Oceanside Church. So that means by day, I'm a financial planner, and by night, Batman. So for me, I've always had a passion uh, for the marketplace and for business and a passion for church um, and what God does in this community. And I wanted to, I've kind of been on a journey and I wanted to bring you on this journey with me of just discovering what this means and the value of what God has for us in our work environments. And, you know, when we examine the gospels and we look at scripture and you look at Jesus, we actually see that there's 132 appearances that he makes in the New Testament. And of those 132, 122 of them were in the workplace environment. And they had a workplace context. That's wild. Um, Of 52 of the parables, 45 of them had a workplace context. So the marketplace was significant for Jesus, and it was significant back then. And I want to say that it should be for us as well. And I really believe that many of us perhaps have a limited understanding of the significance of our work and how it fits into the context of the kingdom. And this is where we're going to go today. The, the word for today is restoring the ministry of work. God wants to restore the ministry of work. I'm going to look at a familiar text and spend some time in here and teaching through a few things, but I want to look at Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. It's a text that we know we've heard often. I want to read through it and teach from it. It says this, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship— created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them you know first as we read this we really must settle something so that we're all on the same page in the context for you and i as believers when we look at salvation we are saved by grace into his kingdom through faith that's it it has nothing to do with our works our efforts, nothing. It's simply our faith in Jesus. So let's settle that. So when we're talking about work and we're talking about works here, we're not talking about works for salvation. That is settled. Amen? Aren't you glad you didn't have to try and achieve that? All right. But in the context, when we look at kingdom here, God has work for us. And this is what I want to focus on. And there's four truths I want to highlight and kind of unpack for us today. The first one is quite simple. We were created to work. It says here that um, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. Work is actually part of our design. God created us this way. He created us um, with purpose, and and it is to work. Um, And let me show you what I mean when we look at this. When we see that word works, it literally means everything that we put our hand to. So it's anything accomplished by hand or with our mind, whether it's in art, whether it's in industry, or whether it's in service. It actually encompasses everything that we do, even the very vocation of work. So that means that we're addressing business owners, we're addressing stay-at-home parents, we're addressing entrepreneurs, employees, students, and yes, even those that work in full-time ministry. It's all-encompassing. So none of us are off the hook here. All of us. And, you know, this started from the beginning. So we're going to go back and see how this was in Scripture. So this isn't just my idea, but we'll see that actually from the beginning, it was God's design for us to work. You know, we know that God created Adam, and it says that he placed him in the garden to work in the garden. Genesis 1.28 um, lays out basically for us how Adam was to rule and to reign. So he created Adam to rule and reign in the garden and on the earth. In Genesis 2.15, it's read this way. It says, the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So right from the beginning, right from creation, right from the design of the first human he designs us to work. There's something in this for us. And, it, and for us, this piece of work didn't come after sin entered the world. It came right in our design. There's something incredible about that. You know, when we see, when we see how God worked, you, you see in scripture when we read that as he was designing and creating the world in Genesis 1.31, it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So even what God does, he referred to as work. And the amazing thing is that he actually pauses and he tells us and shows us that we should delight in our work. He paused. He stood back and went, wow, this is good. How many of you take delight in your work? We should take delight in our work. God took delight in his work. When was the last time you actually stopped and appreciated your hard work of the day? Or do you find that quite often, maybe like me, you kind of get to the end of your day and the only appreciation you have for your day at work is that it's done? Some of you, you can relate. You just kind of get overwhelmed because you were busy and it was exhausting. Maybe you're frustrated. There's something very devious that happens when when we live in that place and we see view this work. There's actually a lie that we can start to believe. So what's the lie? The lie is that work is a curse. Let me show you what I mean. So when when you go to a workplace, what's the most common thing that people do at work other than work? Complain. It's the most, you can go to any workplace, any environment, and you will find complainers. How many of y'all are complainers? All right, okay, we can all probably admit that there's times where we complain at work. There's a reality and we complain about work and people often, they're literally living for their weekends, right? They're just kind of surviving their week. They can't wait to make it to the weekend to have a break from work. And what's the ultimate goal, right? The most important thing that people work towards is what? Retirement, right? Freedom from work, hallelujah, can't wait to be done. Right? Freedom fifty-five, which is some for some of us, you know, sixty-five and seventy-five, and I, I work in finance, I do financial planning. We're constantly looking at retirement planning and retirement income planning and helping people, but their their primary thing is they just want to be free from work because work is a curse. They bought into this lie. And and I think it's common for um, believers and those that don't believe alike that actually work can just become this means to an end. It puts food on the table. It pays the bills. And if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you want to be super spiritual, you probably refer to your work as tent-making ministry. Right? Right? But you see, work is not a curse. And even that idea of tent-making ministry, I mean, Back then, everybody lived in tents. That would be like a, a home builder that was a craftsman that knew how to design homes in special ways. It was, it was a craft. It was a skill. It wasn't just something people did for provision. Work is not a curse. Let me explain this and show you in Scripture. Genesis three seventeen to 19, it says, And to Adam he said, For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You see, this idea that work is a curse is actually a misconception. The curse is that work will be difficult, and it won't always produce the results you've hoped for. Can I say that again? The curses that work will be difficult. It's not always going to produce the results you want. How many of you have worked really hard and it just hasn't quite given you the outcome you want? Just me. All right. Okay. Um, but work can sometimes seem frustrating. It can be hard. Maybe it maybe feels mundane. The truth of it is that we're often going to put our hand to something and want it to produce something bigger, something better, to be more fruitful. But you know, we're only in control of a measure of those outcomes. God's just called us to do our best and to give it our best, and it's not always going to produce exactly what we'd hoped. How many of you have worked really hard at something and just been disappointed with the outcome? It happens. This is what the the reality is in the world we live in. But God still calls us to work. It's in our design, and he has purpose for us in it, as you're going to find out. But it's okay to understand and face some frustration in work. That's okay. But we can't be living as victims. We can't be complainers. You see, God's created us to rule and reign in our workplace. That's his call for us. We are to be ones that extend the kingdom of God wherever we're placed. And he's commissioned us to our work environments. Not that we live under this curse that work is a curse because it isn't. God's created us to work. It's in our very design. And we should delight in it. So we got to start changing our attitudes toward work. Don't wait for your circumstance to change to then change your attitude. You change your attitude, and then through your changed attitude, often your circumstance actually starts to change. You follow me? One thing we can control is our attitude, always, regardless of circumstance. God's given us that ability. So, what other truths do we see when we look at this piece of of work? The next one I want to say is that work is worship. So why does work matter? It's because work is worship. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever we do, we do it in his name. We do it in his honor, and we do it unto him. When you break down this this Hebrew word avodah, you get the root word avod, and it literally means this, work, worship, and service. It translates all three ways: work, worship, and service. So the most often um, translates uh, the most often translation is service, which means that we submit ourselves to one another, like a king. Um, sorry, like a subject would to a king, right? And that's us. We serve the king. We serve King Jesus, right? There is this piece of service. It also translates as worship. Referring to the worship of God. It's used even in the context of worshiping idols. Don't recommend that. Um, But then also work. Common labor. The vocation of work. Both secular and sacred. We're going to talk about that in a bit. But whatever we do, we do it as unto him. And this revelation should change the way we work. It should change the way we do things. You know, the Jewish culture really understood this. They understood that their work was worship. This is why the Jewish people are so um, detail-orientated. Their craftsmanship matters. They pay careful attention to how they conduct business and what they've done. Because they recognize that their work was actually worship to God. The Quakers have a legacy of this. Just go spend some time and Google, do a little Google searching online and you'll see what I mean. But... They built a legacy on this. For those of you that are doing the 2020 challenge, um, I found this really interesting when we looked at Exodus 36.1. It says this, it says, the Lord has gifted Bezalel and Oheliab, however you say this, and the other skilled craftsmen with wisdom And ability to perform any task involved in building the sanctuary. Let them construct and furnish the tabernacle just as the Lord had commanded. And it says that so Moses summoned these guys and all the others who were specifically gifted by the Lord and were eager to get to work. They were building the tabernacle. But they understood that their giftings, their abilities, their talents, who they were, was a gift from God. And they wanted to do it and do those things and use those talents and abilities for his glory, for worship. They understood the value and the significance of this. I hope you understand that God has created each of you so uniquely. He has given you talents and abilities, and, and they're special, and they're for his glory. And you know what? As you do those things in his honor for him, he gets glory from it. And he delights in you. That's this incredible picture for us. You know, often we think worship is just us singing songs. That's just part of it. That's a vocal thing and a heart attitude and we've got to worship but it's also the things that we do in our vocation, in our work, whatever we're giving ourselves to is worship to God. And we have a heavenly father that is taking delight in it. When we, when we understand that, hey, God's made me this way and I'm doing this for his glory and honor, he's like a proud dad and he's watching us. I'm a dad. I'm having fun with this. But I love watching parents and dads and, and they look at their kids and they think their kids are the most special kids in the world. Better than anybody else's kids, right? Love parents. So proud. But you know, it's, they, they look at their kids, they go, oh, my, my daughter can draw a heart. And then you go, one dad, he's like, oh, my daughter can cut out a confetti heart snowflake. And you know, like, there's this bragging rights of like, what your kids can do and what your kids can accomplish. And... You know, that's the heart of our father. He's he's delighted in us. He's excited about us. He's watching over us. He's a proud dad. And his love isn't conditional based on how good you do your job. His love is unconditional. That snowflake might look really terrible. But guess what? Our father loves us. He loves you and he takes delight in you. That's my boy. That's my girl. So what else do we see when we look at the context of work here? The third thing for us is that work is not divided into secular and sacred. What do I mean? Well, we seem to have this tendency to separate what's spiritual, right, from what's secular. And then whatever we've deemed as spiritual, we kind of elevate it in its significance and its importance. Do you know what I mean? But I think it's a a common misconception whether we get there consciously or subconsciously. And you go, yeah, Paul, I I, I get that. No, yeah, we don't do that. That's not me. But here's a really good test for us, okay? So let's go back to the scripture in Ephesians. When we read the scripture in Ephesians where it says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. When we hear works of service, what do you think of? You see, often our minds go to either serving in the church community or serving in some sort of social outreach justice thing, like a food bank, for example. We kind of err on those things. That's often where we go first. Um, it's it's even a scripture that sometimes we use for our next um, sign up for service Sunday, right? Where... where we're talking through all the things that um, we need help with in the life of the church community. In the context of say making coffee or greeting at the door or helping in 180, and these things are really important. And and I'm not I'm not making fun of it for this, but that's actually only one aspect of it. And when we look at serving in the context of us as a gathered body of believers, um, this piece of works of service this is actually just part of being family. As part of family, we actually just, we get involved and we help out. You know, when you're, when you're in a nucleus family and you've got different roles and jobs, if someone doesn't do what they're supposed to do in the family, like clean the bathroom, then it kind of stands out, Right? It just does. But, and there's so many things for us in family that, that we just do together. Um, and it's family. And you know what? Involvement is belonging, and we want people to be involved. But if we just look at works of service and consider that it's, and think that it's only. For our church community as we gather, it's only for the church body like this. We are missing so much of what God is saying. And we're kind of separating out this piece of secular and sacred. And that's not how this works. Are you with me? It's not an either or. It's a both and. God has purpose for us in both of these arenas. And we cannot limit what God wants to do solely in our gatherings and in our church community. If we limit this idea of works of service to just that, the enemy wins. Why does he win? Because a reclusive, introspective people are rendered ineffective. We're not engaging in our spheres of influence. We're not walking out the full purpose of what God has for us. The world needs Jesus. Amen? We're the ones that get to take Jesus to the workplace. We can't just hide in our holy huddles. I really, truly want to emphasize that, yes, God has given us gifts, talents, and abilities, this piece of works of service for encouraging one another, for building each other up inside a body of believers. Absolutely. First, it starts there, for sure. But it's actually something that we're to take out to the marketplace. God's prepared good works for you in your workplaces, in your spheres of influence, in your home. And as we do it, it's worship to God. And it actually points people to Jesus it points people to Jesus. There's this concept going around my workplace at the moment um, and has for a couple of years this idea of bring your whole self to work. You know, nowadays people are, people are quite distracted. They're living these very busy social media lives and you kind of get to work and they're just sort of Doing the mo- going through the motions, you kind of show up, do the job, get out of there, kind of not really paying attention, not really showing much effort or interest in the job. Have you ever been to a fast food place and you can kind of tell that the person taking your order doesn't want to be there? Yeah, I know. Service has changed a little bit now. So there's this idea, this concept of bring your whole self to work. You know? you know, come engaged, come active, be intentional with your time, make it count. Well, that's great. Well, how about what if us as followers of Jesus brought our whole self to work? How about that? What would that look like? What if, what if we came to work with a good attitude every day? Come on. What if if we came full of confidence, secure in our identity as believers, as sons and daughters, certain of the purpose on our lives, living in the revelation that what we do matters, that there's a value for the work that we give, and that it's worship to God. What would it look like if believers came work like that. If we went into our spheres of influence and we brought our whole self, how about bringing the Holy Spirit with you? How about that one? Now, sure, I appreciate that the Holy Spirit's living inside of us and he's going everywhere with us. Sure, but I think in some respects, many of us kind of just want to leave him at home. Just stay here. It's easier this way. I'm not going to listen or pay attention to what you're saying in the workplace. Why? Because, you know, it's actually... It can be challenging in our work environments when when we have the Holy Spirit working and speaking through us. And I say that because people aren't as accepting um, and tolerant of Christians and Christian views in the workplace nowadays, are they? They're just not. I know, I get it. Um, It's maybe easier, maybe it's less confrontational to not bring our whole self to work. But that doesn't mean that we should hide friends. It's actually the exact opposite. More than ever, the world needs believers confident in who they are, going into their environments because God wants to affect change through you in those places. He wants to speak through us. The Holy Spirit has commissioned us actually to be in these arenas. When we look at a body of believers, there's such a small fraction of us that actually serve or work full time in the life of a church. And so much of scripture points to taking what God has given us out into the world. And this is how we do it. You see, God doesn't distinguish between this piece of spiritual and this piece of secular. He, he, he distinguishes between that which is of the flesh and that which is of the spirit. So for us, we should be coming fully empowered with the Holy Spirit where we go. Are you following me? I really believe that God wants to engage in your workplace through you. That God wants to give us strategies and ideas for our workplace. And yes, he wants to see people saved and I'm gonna get to that. But there's, there's so much that God wants to do in those arenas and in those environments. So the next one I wanna look at is the, the last one, it's the fourth point. And it actually kind of pulls all of this together and it, and it, sort of makes sense here is that work is ministry. Work is ministry. So the definition of ministry for us is serving others to the glory of God. The term is deaconeo. It's a conjugation of diaconos. It's the same word that we get the office of a deacon, which is someone serving in the function of a deacon in a local church. Someone that has been recognized as serving in the body, that's an example, and they are, um, they are released and appointed to serve in a function. Yes, so that's one aspect, Right. But then, as you read through the word, the other aspect of ministry and deacon here is the unofficial sense, which is actually just referring to um, what we are all to be doing, that we are all to be serving others to the glory of God. And this is the general context. Um, We're all in full-time ministry. All of us. Each one of us. Commissioned by God as ministers of the gospel. And it's also where we read and see this concept of the priesthood of all believers. We all now have access to God. We all now have been commissioned by him to minister, which is serving others to the glory of God around us. We're all living this out. In 1 Peter 4.10, ministry is a service that benefits others. It says it this way, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So we serve others to the glory of God. So for us, when we look at work is ministry, there's there's three kinds of this ministry that happen. There's three things that we do as we serve others to the glory of God. The first one is the most talked about and recognized. And it's kind of a default and we err on this one, but we miss a lot if we just stay here. And that is that ministry is to happen at work. So there's ministry at work. It's the most common view. And for us, that means that really, wherever we go, we're to be prepared in word and deed to share the gospel. In word and deed to represent Christ to the world. We're to be a witness, right? Francis of Assisi said this thing, to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and he says, and if necessary, use words, and I'm going to be a little cheeky and say that we have to be prepared to use words, because what happens is we can go in and if necessary use words, through word and deed and the things that we do, it opens up a door, But then the scripture tells us us that we should be ready to give an account for the hope that we have. We should be prepared to tell people. And I think we can almost hide behind this idea of I'm representing Jesus just in the things that I do and the way that I live. Yes, but in those things, they should be opening a door for us to tell people about Jesus. Because if we don't tell them, how are they going to know? Right? So we're to minister at work. And we can't just... Be weird about that. You know, you don't have to go and put up a little, you know, a little stand and, and bring your Bible and just read through scripture and these and nows and tell people that they're all going to hell. And say, I'm not trying, we're not trying to be weird about this. We can, in very incredible ways, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through this power that wants to break in that we just heard in a prophetic word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God's going to open doors for us to speak and to speak into people's lives. And I want to encourage you, let's listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying, because there is ministry at work. What else? Well, there's also the ministry of work. This is one of the things we've been talking through even this morning, and that is that our workplace is a place of worship, that in our work environments, we are serving others, we are doing something, we are creating something, and that very act glorifies God. That very act is ministry. Right? My grandfather always told me that jobs done by halves are never done right. When we come and put in half efforts for things, we're not setting a great example. We're we're losing the significance of what God has for us. You know, I I don't think I could do this very well, but my wife's a nurse. She's gracious. You know, she has a very practical, real example. She said when she first started her career, one of the things that she was doing as a nurse was washing people's feet. I don't love feet. I don't want to wash people's feet. But for her, in her heart, it was this piece of, actually, this is me serving somebody. You know, the very things that we do are serving, they're ministering to people. Maybe in my workplace, for what I do, it's giving people advice, going over and above just a financial conversation. Sometimes I put on marriage counselor hat and we talk through things that are challenging. But it's going above and beyond and it's recognizing the value of people and ministering through them, or ministering to them through the things that God has put in our hands. Whatever it is he's put in your hands. What else? The third one is this. There's ministry to work. So there's the ministry at work. There's the ministry of work. And then there's the ministry to work. And I find this one the most interesting. And this is that God actually puts us in places and gives us the opportunity to change environments. To change the way things are done. We actually get to act as redeeming agents for our workplace. We get to influence bad workplace policies. We get to influence principles and the way things are done. We can redeem these environments. We can take our workplace. It's maybe this negative place. It's this negative space. And guess what? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God's commissioning you to change it. Did you know it? And you can change it. He's called us to redeem work the way things are done. He's commissioning us to set better standards. You know, I I know someone who's a lawyer, and he's understood this concept, and he specializes in family law. Uh, And when you're dealing with family law, you're dealing with some difficult stuff. You know, you're dealing with divorce, separation, you're dealing with disagreements. This is challenging. This is hard. And for those that work in this field, a common um, statistic or common reality that comes is that in this role of dealing with these difficult challenges, that even when people get the result that they wanted, they're actually not happy or satisfied in the end. They're dissatisfied with the process. And and often the reason for that is because families are getting torn apart. Kids are involved. People are getting hurt. So in a legal practice where maybe the approach is one of, you know, setting up your defense for your argument and you're preparing all your ammunition to tear somebody down and to tear holes in them and pull it all apart, instead of doing that, the approach is one of collaboration. It's one of honoring people. It's one of actually just working together to find an outcome that's agreeable. It's changing the way it's done so that at the end, there isn't, there isn't this thing of dissatisfaction here. And I'm not talking about saying that I'm that I'm either for or not for divorce. What I'm talking about is that God's called us to redeem the way things are done. Right? The way things are done. We can do that. He's called us as agents of change. Um, So for you guys, it might be, maybe it's unjust policies at work. Maybe it's dishonesty. Maybe it's malpractice. Maybe it's just mismanagement. We can change those environments. God's called us to do it. And in so doing, it's worship to God and people are pointed to Jesus. Amazing. Amazing how God works like this. So God has influence for us. Wherever you are, whatever those, those works of service take you, God has influence for you to affect change in that place. I just want to say that if we get this revelation of the significance of work, the significance and value of what we do, if we understand that this extends God's kingdom, we're going to live with courage. We're going to live with purpose. And we are going to take ground for the kingdom. I fully believe that the next revival is going to be in the marketplace. I fully believe that. I really do. And we get to do that. But it starts with us. So let's restore the ministry of work in our lives. And let's remember these things. These are the four truths we touched on, and then I'm done, Mike. They're this. We were created to work. Work is worship. Work is not divided into secular and sacred. And that work is ministry. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.
1: Thanks, man. Wonderful word. And um, compartmental in our lives, and we're so good at that. And you'll um, we'll often hear us say from here that um, Christianity is not an event, it's a lifestyle, it's who we are on a daily basis. And, and meeting together is very important. But uh, as we can compen- com- compartmentalize our our work, we can do it with our our work with Jesus Christ. And um, so, this is a very important time that we get together. But the purpose of this, and um, the writer of Hebrews tells us this in Hebrews 11. He's just uh, Hebrews 10. He's just been telling us uh, that it's only through Jesus Christ, and we're going to break bread now. Uh, that we can come into the Holy of Holies through His body, through a new and a living way. And uh, we're going to remember that today, and we're going to pray for each other. But prayer, um, attending church, going to work, whatever we do, we're all to do it in word and deed to the glory of God the Father. And Paul, thank you so much for that amazing reminder for sure. I just want to share the scripture, and then we're going to um, break bread. And I was just thinking of it as Paul was um, preaching. It's in Hebrews 11 where it says, And let us consider how we may may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And I want to encourage you as we break bread, we're going to um, uh, come up and receive the elements, and to, to pray for each other. As we do this, we're going to worship God. We've got time to do that and to pray for one another, to encourage one another, because I know people are going through many trials. And um, yes, Jesus is the head, but we are the body. We're the ones with the hands, with the hugs, with the, um, that can physically come alongside people and help them through their trials. And uh, believe me, as a pastor, um, Deborah and I hear of many of them. And many here today are just needing some encouragement. And it says here, and let us spur, let us not, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards loving good deeds. And let us not neglect coming together, but let us encourage one another. All the more as we see the day appearing. And I just um, wondered if we could bow our heads, and the worship team could come forward, what if God says that we do this, we break bread in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ, His body broken and His blood shed for us.